Welcome to season two of My Ministry Breakthrough, brought to you by Oxano. I'm your host, Brian Rose. This podcast is all about church leaders telling unfiltered stories of impact in the local church. We're here to celebrate and share those life-changing moments when the fog of ministry chaos clears and breakthrough clarity happens. We, in the unique process, are helping the individual say, hey, how do I be a disciple that makes disciples different than the person next to me? You know, we're all called to love God and to, to serve and to, you know, honor Him, but how do I specifically do that? And so walking folks through a process where they, they actually come alive to say, oh my, since the beginning of time, God's been thinking about me in this way and has He has designed me and then stuck me in, you know, in this place and this time to get after these things. And and, and folks, I mean, with tears and great joy, um, folks are being released into their calling. It's amazing. What if you knew that critical parts of your church needed to change? And in changing these parts, it would cause some people to feel uncomfortable or even unhappy. But what if you could know that making those changes would definitely bring more vibrancy to people's faith and their disciple-making, as well as reach exponentially more people who are far from Christ. I guess the question is, would it be worth making a few believers uncomfortable or even upset if you knew you were going to be able to reach more unbelievers with the gospel message? Before you answer with a quick yes, think through the last big leadership decision you made and the real, unspoken reasons why you made it. My guest in this episode is Jay Cole, next-gen admissions pastor of Heartland Community Church in Kansas City. Jay is helping to lead his church into a new season of spirit-led and spirit-fed disciple-making that has nothing to do with participation in a program and everything to do with integration of identity. Heartland is also seeing a common change that that is happening in many 20 to 25-year-old churches right now. The change from a seeker-sensitive, attractional model of Sunday programming to a believer-maturing, incarnational model of weekday living. Heartland is moving from come and see to go and share, and it's not always been easy. At Oxano, we like to say that clarity isn't everything, but it is in everything and affects everything. So lean in and listen up to my ministry breakthrough with Jay Cole of Heartland Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri. Well, Jay, give us a little context. Where are you right now? And, uh, and you know, physically, let's just get, what, what's your physical location right now? Yeah, wonderful. Live, I live in uh, Kansas City, Kansas. I live in a place called Lenexa, Kansas. It's southwest of the city. And uh, the church in which I serve is called Heartland Community Church which is almost due south of Kansas City, about 20 minutes in a community called Olathe. Great. And I want to get to the important questions about church stuff, but I want to get to the more important questions about Kansas City barbecue. What's your, what's your top two Kansas City barbecue joints right now? Today? So uh, me personally, Q39, uh, yeah. it's new, up and coming. I mean, Jack Stacks is large and on the plaza, but I'm a Q39 guy. Uh, and I do love KC Joe's barbecue. It helps that it's a stone's throw from the church and we can walk over and grab the notorious Z-Man at any time. Does it really help or is that, or does it not help that it's only a stone's throw? If you can walk to a barbecue place, that to me sounds kind of dangerous. Well, uh, highly dangerous. Uh, it, it helps in terms of access because of my appetite. Uh, I'm a food lover. 
but it also helps in terms of catering because if we need great barbecue, uh, we can bring it to the church in a moment's notice. Well, I don't ever want pastors to say they're not getting great content out of the My Ministry Breakthrough podcast. Q39 is, their their burnt ends are amazing. And what was the other one you said that's right next to the church? Casey Joe's. Casey Joe's. Used to be Oklahoma Joe's. Now, okay, the Z-Man, you've got incredible roast beef with an onion ring on top, often cheese, nice bun, amazing. Nice. Well, tell me a little bit about this church that's no, that's located nearby this this great barbecue place. Tell me about Heartland. Give us a little three minute snapshot of the ministry there. Absolutely, located in a, what would be like an old Walmart property, Sam's Club. Used to be a furniture store, actually. Uh, kind of the crossroads of I thirty five that runs, you know, right down through Kansas City all the way actually into Dallas. Uh, and we we're off a of main thoroughfare. We've got sixty or seventy. Um, uh, businesses that actually surround the property from six or seven hotels. You've got a you know Target and everything in between. Uh, so we we just sit kind of in a. Um, I mean, it's not metropolitan. I mean, we're out in the suburbs. Um, we we move from uptown to um, to south here. The the church actually began 23 years ago, or excuse me, 33 years ago, with 23 folks in the basement had a heart to to uh, build a church for the unchurched. Right. So in a fractional model, uh, the unchurched would feel curious and confident to, to come to a place and say, is God relevant? And uh, we're actually in the middle of the Exano um, vision process uh, because in our hearts, we're saying, hey, people can still come to the church, but we want to be the church out where people are. Uh, so we're, we're, we're changing our sense of building a church for the unchurched to becoming the church among the unchurched. Uh, so so let, let, let's not run through that because that's really... Yeah. That's really powerful, I think, in, to, in, in where we sit in the culture today. So we're not changing necessarily from being a church for the unchurched, but you are shifting the model or you're shifting kind of the ministry direction toward what? How did you articulate that? Yeah, so build for to become among. Build for the unchurched. Yeah, to, now, yeah now we want to become among. So uh, it used to be a place that folks would come to, so kind of the brick and mortar. Uh, which we still believe in. We, we want to have, you know, excellent programming on uh, Sunday and all the things that we do at that property. But uh, as we think about the people being the church, uh, how do we activate people and motivate people where they live, work, and study and play to carry their faith to the furthest out folks, whether it be in the neighborhood, whether it be in the workplace, the relational networks. Yeah, it's, it's a, it is a big shift, though. It's a continuation from, you know, our deep heart for God and for the lost. Uh, but it, it is a different approach where we're, we're helping folks be. Um, what, in, what initiated that, Jay? What was it that prompted that shift for, to being, you know, versus, versus, you know, coming to? Well, I, I mean, I think if we exited our culture, I mean, less and less folks are prone to walk through the doors of a church. Now, we, we, we live in the Midwest. That's in general. That's not just Kansas City. That's, yeah. that's a general malaise uh, across the landscape of the church today, right? Yeah, I, I would say, you know, nationally and, and, and in large cities even more so. Um, so, again, we're, we're Midwest, so we've gotten away with folks coming to the church. It's kind of more of a norm, but um, you, you think of the next generations, um, folks in their 20s, um, that less and less are they coming to the church and Sunday being an important day where they, they gather on a regular basis. What was it? When did, when did you guys, you know, I know that's a kind of a national thing and, 
churchwide. Was there a moment for for Heartland itself, for the church itself, where you sensed this shift from this attractional to this what I would call incarnational yeah. uh, model of ministry? Yeah, I mean, so great words. One was invitational. One is incarnational. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, so about three years ago, we our statement of mission had been build a church for the unchurched the last 30 years. And we've kind of been on this threshold of figuring out well, how do we continue to do that well, but incarnate our, incarnate our faith. And so the language of becoming the church among the unchurched sat with us really out of 1 Thessalonians 5, um, you know, or excuse me, 1 Thessalonians 1, Paul talks about becoming among. And uh, so it, it's kind of been this meta narrative for us. Um, again, going back to the Exano process helped us put legs to, you know, this bigger dream of approach to say, how do we actually do this thing uh, in everyday real time? Give us an example of the impact of that shift uh, real practically. If I'm a pastor sitting out there listening right now, and I have that same sense, probably one of the things that keeps me in hesitation mode, let's say, or from, from moving forward is because there's, there's got to be change involved. There's got to be something new happening. And if I don't know what it is, I'm not going to be real quick to, to jump in there. Give us a sense of what's, what's, what's going on around the church or, or something that's tangible. We can kind of go, oh yeah, this is a result of that. Yeah. So let me go a couple concepts and then take you to the concrete. Um, Perfect. One, one thought would be, um, you know, we've been trying to answer the question, our services for a long time, is God relevant? Mm-hmm. So our, our messaging would be around God's relevance. Um, so often like an intellectual, perhaps, argument. Um, whereas now we're saying, well, how can we help folks encounter God in our midst and then obviously uh, carry that everywhere we go? So we're not asking the question, is God relevant? We're asking the question, is God here? So in the service, in the physical location of the worship service? Yep, physical service, yep. And saying, okay, how can we encounter God in that space in our public gathering? Uh, in order to do that, how do those that lead and prepare, you know, all week, all month for that service uh, have encounters with God so it becomes an overflow expression? Um, so we, we talk about we don't want to live out or lead out what we're not living out. Can't, right. can't lead out what we're not living out. Um, so, so that, that, yeah, I was going to say, what does that, what does that look like in the service? I mean, is there an example of that that you've seen in the last, even the last couple of weeks that you can say, Hey, this is one of those moments where the, enca- we switch, we switch from the relevance to the encounter. Yeah. I mean, we, we've switched some of the basic structure. So we, we've got some folks to have a heart for prayer, which is fairly new for us. It's not that we're not a praying people, uh, but we're saying, Hey, what if we relied on prayer first? You know, it was, it was the tip of mission. And so, We've got folks that show up for service uh, eight o'clock, and we have a nine o'clock service. So they come and they'll pray for the morning around the auditorium. Uh, it's about fifteen folks. They'll take notes and, and give it to one of our point people. Simultaneously, we have our worship leaders who are have been preparing all week in their hearts and getting a sense of what God's saying. We also have our communicator, our hosts, doing the same. Right, and we'll get together. Um, 30 minutes before the service. I mean, all the preparation's done, you know, all the production um, cues, all that's been walked through. But 30 minutes prior, we'll gather and say, hey, what do we sense God saying? What are the micro shifts for the day? Hmm. And often there's there's this convergence of um, of ideation, you know, around, hey, this is what we've been sensing. This is what we've been sensing. And you'll see this kind of collaboration happen where we'll be able to name here's what we think God might be saying through us to our people 
today. And we'll, we'll grab that language and it'll actually show up. Uh, we might switch a song or it'll show up in the narrative, you know, in between songs or as our host begins to, to, to share something, he'll steward a moment. She would steward a moment. And, uh, or even, even in our message where we'll change a bit of the language or even show, change how we close in terms of getting to something very specific based on that micro code discerning, you know, that 30, 30 minutes before service. So it's a little bit unnerving because you can feel like you're moving everybody's cheese, but we're quite prepared and we've left a little bit of space yeah. to fill in some of the cracks. Yeah, it, it strikes me that if you weren't well prepared, you would not be able to receive that that last minute piece well, right? And I think that's probably yeah. the key is if you're, if you're not prepared, then you, if you don't have something to deviate from, then everything is a deviation and right. exhausting versus being, you know, knowing that, man, if we just make these small tweaks, that sounds like there's a, there's a high level of responsiveness to the Holy Spirit in those moments then. What yeah. is, what's, what's something that's happened as a result? Yeah, well, so go back to something you said. There is a demand for absolute preparation. Like we can't come into the time unprepared, both you know, in terms of a script for a message, for instance, or a song set, yeah. uh, but also just your own, your own life. Um, we we want to come in just prepared in terms of encounter. So um, just trying to think of a tangible example. You know, we, we, we had a gentleman this past week. Um, so on our front row sits some of the guys who are recently out of jail. And they've right. come to faith. And so we've got, we've got a, a team that goes into the jails and they are regularly seeing, they had one day where they had 80 folks come to faith. Wow. I mean, it's, it's just incredible the things that they're doing. And they've been, there's been a longevity of their presence, you know, in the jail ministry. And so we've got about 15 guys that come and sit right on the front row. And I mean, they are, we're not a, you know, an amen, hallelujah type of congregation in terms of response. Um, but these guys, they are hooting and hollering and yelling and excited down in the front. And, and when we begin to bring some of that code of sermon language, I mean, it's as if we're writing, we, we read their mail for the week. So we had one gentleman that uh, during our song time, he, he could barely take his hands off his walker. You know, a lot of those guys don't want to put their hand up while they're, while they're doing some worship. And, and again, that's not been kind of our motif as a church. Um, at the end of the service, when we did our close, this guy had put aside his walker and he was, he was dancing to the worship song in the aisle. Uh, it, it was magnificent. I mean, it was short of miraculous for this guy to be able to be doing something like that. And, and what, what we're experiencing is, is we, just, we just feel like God's presence is very tangible, mm. palpable, and folks are finding freedom. We're seeing some things um, in terms of folks being healed of emotional things, physical things. Um, which is again very abnormal for just our whole <laughs> theological. Pattern. I feel like you. I feel like you're struggling here to kind of be like, yeah, there, it was in other contexts that would be described as a miracle, Jay. I mean, you know, there's, yeah, yeah, there's yeah. some things. I think I think there's a little bit of that. I can feel a little bit of that. Ugh, you know, we're not used to this. We're not actually used to um, the presence of God in such a tangible way in our services. It does feel like an Abrahamic journey where God's saying, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead you into an unknown place. You know, he's, he's taking us from the familiar into the unknown. And uh, yeah, you, you're, you're reading it right. Because I, you know, I, almost, I don't, I don't want to call it something it's not, but at the same time, I get so excited about what it is. And I mean, we're genuinely, we're, we're doing the work to, to encounter God personally, and it's spilling over. 
into our, our, our services time. And so we actually began to dip in our attendance, which was part of the reason we, we reached out to the Exano team and said, hey, we need clarity for the next 30 years. You know, we're in the yeah. middle of the transition. Uh, so what's been happening, though, in the last two months, our attendance numbers actually have begun to climb. Um, so it's been, been interesting, some of the different steps we've, we've taken. Um, and again, I, I, I would attribute attendance growth to a couple of those things. But again, I do feel like we're in a landscape of the church that is really tough just to measure things in yeah. this season in church. So, yeah, you know, the, the, the week to week measuring, you know, there's, there's a lot of ways to, to skin that cat. And it feels like you guys are embarking on some, some new language of measuring success, new language of measuring effectiveness of what you're doing. Are there any examples of that that you that just top of head, Jay, that you might bring out and say, hey, this is one way we've kind of shifted our thinking from this is what success looks like to this? Yeah, um, I love, so I'm a conceptual guy. I love you keep pushing me to concrete. So we'll just, we'll just name that right there. Um, Hey, yeah. listen, there's, there's tons of concrete pastors out there that I feel like l- love the conceptual piece, but also want to, okay, that's great. What, what do I do? What does that actually look like? Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of what I've had to do personally is engage our leaders relationally throughout the week. So it means coming by the cubicle. It means going into the office. It means uh, just asking the basic questions. How are you doing? What's happened in life? What's God saying to you? What are you sensing about the week? What are you, what are you having a hard time with? What are you excited about? And, and then I offer the same. So I'm not asking something I won't offer uh, because we're, we're really trying to build this relational connection, not just with each other, but you know, with the God that we're serving. And so we're trying to make normative in everyday life, business of the church, if you will, the prayerful activity, the relational activity with each other, what God's saying through the scriptures. So a couple, couple tangible things. I mean, we've just, we've upped our prayerfulness throughout the week. So for instance, um, I, I was sitting actually pondering about this uh, podcast today in, uh, in one of the public spaces at our church. And uh, I noticed this team of folks, uh, part of our staff, uh, one was a video guy, you know, one is a discipleship pastor. Another is one of our administrative assistants, and they do a prayer walk around the building every day for about 30 minutes. And I mean, nobody's asked them to do that. They just have said, hey, that's something I want to be doing. Well, interestingly enough, I was driving out of campus again to come prepare for this this afternoon, and I saw another set of folks doing the same thing, just walking around the campus. And so folks have, for whatever reason, just gravitated to prayer walks around the facility. And um, so we've been challenging our team for two to three years that if we don't pray as our only resource, um, we're, then we're sunk. Let's, let's start there. Um, so we're seeing prayer pop up all over the place with our teams. Um, so would that be a tangible enough example for you or do you want something more, more tangible than that? Yeah, no, I, I love that Jay. And, and, and I really, I really wonder if I'm a pastor sitting out there, how, how do I encourage that? I mean, is that just something that only the Holy Spirit does and I've got to just kind of count on Holy Spirit to show up in those moments? Or is that something that I can lead? Can you, I guess I'm asking, can you look yeah. back and see leadership thread of where 
you know, you've led something, not that specifically, but you've led to something for that environment to take place. Yeah, I mean, Brian, so here's the reality. Jesus wants us to be great at prayer. I mean, you, you go throughout the New Testament and he's always constantly talking about us, you know, forever be in prayer or, you know, pray all the time, pray without ceasing. Uh, and we can look at that and see it as fleeting or not possible. But I mean, he set it up for us to be amazing at prayer. And what is prayer? It's conversation with God. I mean, and I talk to God and he talks back. In fact, uh, you know, part of the, the study of the, the brain, I can have uh, 450 words per minute I can process. Well, at best, you and I can, you can offer 150. I can offer, you know, we can only offer 150 verbally. That means I've got another 150 happening inside of me and another 150 available. So, I mean, I can have this conversation with God, have a conversation with you and be paying attention to what's happening inside of me. Uh, there, there's synergy with that. So, I mean, we've been hardwired to actually be good at this connecting with God and people and doing it all simultaneously. So, one of the just simple things we did is three and a half years ago, uh, we, we've got this, um, we call it the light box. It's right in the middle of our building. And, uh, you know, you can imagine a dark warehouse. And we said, okay, we've got to get light in the middle of this building. So we opened up the roof and dropped down um, this kind of this window atrium area. It's, I mean, it's not very big. You could, you could probably cram 30 people in it, but it brings light into the middle of the building. And so we just started 1215. We did it for 15 minutes. Come to the light box. We called it light box prayers. And we just prayed. And uh, I'd ask a question, hey, God, would you, ask, would you break our hearts for the city? And that's where I started. And, and for six months, we met on Wednesdays, 15 minutes. It might go an extra 15. And at first, we had three people show up, and then we had 10 people show up. And I mean, I would say that that's where some of our, our birth roots began to reemerge. I mean, I, we've been a, a people of prayer long before I showed up. Uh, but it, at first, it was like pulling teeth. We had people that were resistant, you know. Uh, and I was surprised because I'm like, well, we, we work at a church. I, how, how can we not, you know, want to pray, no less even know how to do it? And I, and I appreciate that it's not easy for everyone. Um, so from there, I mean, we, we actually then went ahead and built a prayer room. We have one of the gals that said, hey, I just think we need a dedicated space. And it was like pulling teeth to get a dedicated space. And, and we had 40% uh, of our building that was unfinished. And we still, it was tough to to get space dedicated for prayer. Now we've got a prayer space and folks are in there constantly. Matter of fact, this afternoon I met with uh, that same gal who said, Hey, look, I want to have a, I want to do 24 seven prayer for, for the month of January for the, with the city leaders of, uh, of Olathe. There's 30 other churches and we just got to pick one day. I just need 24 people to pick an hour that our church would pray. So, I mean, we're, it's the kind of stuff we're, we're getting after, but again, it's, it's hard work. Yeah. Why is it so hard? I have no idea. No. <laughs> um, why is it so hard? I, I think one is so intangible. You know, it seems so intangible. Uh, two, um, I, I, think the, the, I think doubt permeates. You know, this, so I've got this intangibility and I'm praying to this potentially distant God and I, nobody's taught me how to do it. Nobody's taught me how to do it fun. I haven't necessarily seen answers to it. Um, yeah. And, and I, I would also say there, there are so many other things that seemingly seem more effective to get after. Yeah. There's so many more things to do other than pray, right? Pray. I think, I think for many of our type A and, and we all probably cut our teeth on John Maxwell and Catalyst and some of these other things where leadership, leadership, leadership. 
and, and prayer doesn't feel like we're doing leadership. Prayer feels like, you know, that, that thing. Oh yeah, we're, we're going to spend a couple minutes, just like we did before this podcast, right? Praying for a couple minutes and then, and then going. And I think what I hear you saying is that, no, leader, praying is leadership. You know, there is something you are doing tangibly, at least for you guys at Heartland, what you're experiencing. There's a, there, there, that is doing something uh, to pray in, in those ways. Yeah, so what, what we said is, let's pray as if it's our only resource. Hmm. I mean, we're, we're a well-resourced church and an upper class. I mean, we've got plenty of ideas. But let, let's pray as if it's our only resource. Hmm. And, um, let, let's get after that. And so our team is saying, hey, why don't we shepherd our people through prayer first? Um, so that's a, it's a very different approach. I mean, we're not a shepherd, but we're going to shepherd them through prayer. Yeah. How's that look? Because you've deployed that through the congregation maybe even through at leadership levels first, give us a snapshot of how's that look? Is your, cause obviously you've talked a lot about the, the leadership praying and you guys having prayer and staff and some of those things, but what if I don't have a staff? What if all I have is a, you know, a congregation, how do I help them get engaged with that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I mean, there, there is the, the public platform where you can teach about prayer. Um, what we've tried to do is not just talk about it from the platform but to, from the platform, help folks engage in the prayer practice. And so we've, um, we've begun to use the stage as a place of equipping. So imagine if we've got 30 minutes um, of, a, of a talk, if you will, sermon message, whatever you want to call it. You know, in that time, we might have a conversation from the scriptures about prayer, but then actually lead them in a prayer conversation with God. How to hear his voice or how to talk to him or how to offer him up a need. Um, so, you know, it's a, if you've got a congregation of a hundred, I mean, we, we've got about 2000 at, uh, that's, that's all ages. So in a service, we'll have 700 to 900 folks, uh, two services on a Sunday, but even in that context, 900 folks, and, uh, we'll take a five minute segment and actually not just demonstrate prayer from the stage, but, you know, invite them into a prayer practice from the stage. And that, to bring it back around, Jay, feels like about 180 degrees from that invitational, attractional model Absolutely. that we all knew and loved from 20, 25 years ago. Like, we, that would have not happened. Like, you know, that would have been so offensive to someone far from God that we would just like, let's just do another, let's just do another secular song, you know, to make sure they, they love who we are versus really kind of taking them into a scary place for many. Uh, have you guys seen like breakthrough in those moments that, that, you know, is, is, is a kind of a. a yeah, absolutely. Result. I mean, so to, you know, I could take us too down the rap, too far down the rabbit hole, but on the prayer piece. This uh, podcast is all about rabbit holes. So. All right. Man. We're going to go there. Blue pill, red pill. Well, we're going to choose one and go for it. Hey, before we continue with Jay's story of breakthrough, I want to talk to you for a minute about boot camp. Not the military, shave your head, put on funny glasses, hoorah boot camp, but Oxano's boot camp that's coming up in just a few weeks on guest experience and capital campaign. See, what we've done is we've taken two days and we've really created an immersive team environment with guided learning and practical application. What happens in both our capital campaign boot camp and our guest experience boot camp is every participant leaves with a plan. So if you need to raise money in the next year, man, this may be the place for you. This Capital Campaign Bootcamp teaches you how to think about raising support, how to engage 
leadership and the whole congregation with a discipleship mentality, and also how to stay vision-focused and faith-infused throughout a journey of generous giving. And if you think your systems on Sunday morning, the way you welcome and connect with people could get better, well, the Guest Experience Bootcamp is just for you. It's again, two days of really creating a plan to welcome guests well. You walk away with a workable plan with executable tasks as soon as you go home. The Guest Experience Bootcamp happens February 26th and 27th in West Palm Beach, Florida. The Capital Campaign Bootcamp happens February 19th and 20th in Huntington Beach, California. Wanna encourage you to go to oxano.com and click on Bootcamp under the training events and learn more. We'd love to see you at the Capital Campaign Bootcamp or the Guest Experience Bootcamp coming up in just a few weeks. Now, back to Jay's breakthrough story. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, um, took the congregation through a prayer practice and, uh, began to talk about having a prayer picture. So in other words, when I'm talking to God, where, where can I go in my imagination? I mean, what, what does it look like? I, I can have a posture where I'm sitting down or closing my eyes or folding my hands, uh, can have a cup of coffee, you know, in my favorite chair near the warm window. Uh, there's all different postures and places. But, but in my interior world, how do I orient myself to just God's presence? And so what we've been talking to our folks about is what I call a prayer picture. So I offered a prayer picture of a cabin, you know, set in the woods. So not a creepy cabin. You know, this is a cozy yeah. cabin. Uh, and, and it's a cabin, you know, it, it's spacious. It's, it's not dim. You know, it's, uh, it's well lit. And the, uh, the conversation went that, hey, imagine that God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in that cabin. They're actually sitting around the table. And, uh, and, and we walked up the steps, pushed open the door. You know, you see the fireplace. You've got the chairs. You've got the kitchen area. And just invited folks to come in and actually take a seat. Don't, don't stand. Come sit. You can lay down on a bench. You can sit before the fire. Come in and take a seat. And then God comes over to you and says, hey, I'm glad you're here. And I have a gift for you. And ask him, what, what do you have for me? And so we're teaching folks to be in his presence in a kind of a tangible way. Uh, and it, it can seem a little, you know, a little spooky, this visualization. But that, that's not what this is. It's just using a bit, you know, C.S. Lewis talks about the imagination and we're just using our imagination to be present to God and allow him to speak to us. And so it's interesting after that prayer exercise, uh, I'll have folks come up a month later and just say, Hey, I I remember going to the cabin or here's what God spoke to me in the cabin or, Hey, I was at work and I had a moment and I wanted to talk to God. So I went to the cabin. Mm. And and so it just, it got legs because it's tangible for folks and they can they can imagine their favorite cabin place that, again, it's not creepy, you know? Yeah. No, I love that. And I love the fact, Jay, that it feels like at the root of it, it's not just what's happening in that room, but you guys are deploying people from that room to be really, and you've said this already, but, you know, I guess I'm restating it. You're deploying people from the room on Sunday to really go and live their faith the other days of the week and the other venues God has placed them. It's not, their faith isn't, isn't room-centric to Sunday morning worship environment. Now their faith is location-centric to where they are, wherever they are. Tell me more about that shift and how that's happened for you guys. Yeah, 
you know, so where we got turned on to it a bit was in uh, Edinburgh, Scotland. A gentleman came and spoke to us at this conference. It was last minute. He just kind of walked in the door, some old friends. His name is Brian Sanders. And he uh, he kind of just rubbed his chin. And, and I could tell the dude hadn't thought about what he's going to share. And I think it was just a kind of spontaneous thing. And he said, what should I share with you guys today? And so imagine there's, you know, 50 American church leaders sitting in this room. and uh, Paid a lot of money, you know, flew, yeah. flew a long way. And you're like, great. Great. Thanks for the prep yeah. time, bro. And it's the, you know, we're, is this the kind of the closing? Yeah. And he yeah. says, Hey guys, do you know what the, do you know what the Trojan, uh, Trojan horse of the church of the West is? You know, now we're on the edge of our seats. He said, it's the stage. And he said, uh, what happens is, is we, we've so elevated the stage that it's placed people in a spectator mode. And so I came back from that trip just riveted saying, okay, how, how do we change the stage from a place of um, where we cause people to spectate? But instead, how do we have it a place of encounter? We facilitate encounter that they can carry with them. And then we can equip them in something very simple and basic so that they can take with them and supportability of whatever it is. So in this conversation about prayer, something they can carry with them that's really, really portable. Um, so gave another exercise with a, a, a friend about how they can actually go and talk to God when they're, they're having a difficulty emotionally and asking God to just name that emotion for them and then say, where did it come from? What did I come to believe? I mean, just a really simple practice that we walked mm. through. It was interesting with our staff. So on Monday morning came in and just, we had a debrief time and uh, the worship leader says to me, Hey, I was laying in bed last night. And I just was having a tough time with the relationship. And I did that thing that we did in the service. And it totally, totally changed me. And, and uh, our communications director was listening and said, I did the same thing this morning. And so, I mean, it's, it's that simple and that practical that folks can, when they find themselves in a difficult space, they can activate this thing that we, you know, like the cabin, just gave them something simple that they can remember that's really, really tangible. It's equipped them um, just to do it wherever they are. I know a part of that too has been that personal vision clarity piece uh, that stems from our sibling organization as Oxano. You know, my, my primary role is within Oxano, that vision clarity at the organizational level, churches, you know, faith-based organizations. You guys have also dipped into Unique, which is again, another uh, a sibling organization, Will Mancini founded in the same way the personal, the, the organizational clarity come back to the personal clarity. How has that made a difference for you guys in deploying people and sending them versus just kind of receiving them? Yeah. For, I mean, for individual clarity that unique helps people get to, um, you know, we're not asking them in the unique process to come do our thing. We're asking the unique process, hey, come discover what God's made you for so you can go do your thing. Uh, or you can go do the thing that God's made you for. And we'll, we'll help equip. We'll help resource. We'll help champion that thing. And so bringing value to a person's life based on how God's made them, where they live, work, study, and play, is quite different of a, you know, of a contract, if you will, for them to come, oh, pastor, you've got this vision. We want to help you do your thing or the church's thing. Uh, not that folks don't want to do that, uh, but it has been amazing to help them get personal clarity. Uh, so even if they come help do kind of the church's things, and I put that in quote uh, quotes, they they they're adding their unique 
contribution based on their design. Uh, so if they're a concrete planner, uh, we've got places for that. You know, if they're a dreamer, we've got places for that. Um, so it, it is a huge switch for us because we've kind of been the machine of church where you come and, you know, we, we do it for you. Uh, and now we're saying, well, no, you're, you're, the, you're the person of the church. And how can we help you do that where you are? So kind of like Home Depot, you can do it. We can help kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say there's that partnership with, you know, there's places for you to serve in the church, but there's also this position. It feels like you, you're saying that the church is here to help serve their calling help serve there. It's not that they're here to serve and kind of help us accomplish something that the church wants to do is almost like the church is here and here to help accomplish what God wants to do in your life. And in your, is that, is that fair? Is that accurate? Yeah, very accurate. So in the way that uh, Oxano has helped our church get clarity about how we as a church make disciples differently than the church down the road, we in the unique process are helping the individual say, Hey, how do I be a disciple that makes disciples different than the person next to me? You know, we're all called to love God and to, to serve and to, you know, honor him. But how do I specifically do that? And so walking folks through a process where they, they actually come alive to say, oh, my, since the beginning of time, God's been thinking about me in this way. And has, he has designed me and then stuck me in, you know, in this place and this time to get after these things. And, and, and folks, I mean with tears and great joy, um, folks are being released into their calling. It's amazing. I, I know you've been through the unique process, the personal vision clarity process. You lead others in it. You guys have kind of incorporated it. I want to get into the, the real, again, tangible ways you guys have incorporated this into your, into the, the church. Like, you know, but I also want to know from you kind of what's that, what's your, What's your, you know, personal clarity? What's your, what's your personal mission? I guess your life core, or you, you know, your life call. You got it top of mind right there? I do. Well, so we, we actually help folks to put it in two words. Okay. So I, my, my two words, I always have to explain. It's internal speak. Uh, I don't normally put it out to the, to the population, but it's staging reproduction. Okay. What, what that doesn't mean that is gets that gets a little awkward if you don't know the context. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm an awkward guy. So, uh, but staging is a military term. Yeah, you know, so as you think about taking advance, there's different yeah. levels and strategies where you're bringing together resources and people at certain times to move things forward. And so, for instance, I love to see folks who are far from God, uh, maybe even consuming, moving to a place where they begin to participate. Just even in the conversation, move from yeah. participation to making a contribution. Yeah. So, in a home group, for instance, you know, life group participation or contribution could be, hey, I'm going to stand at the door and greet people when they come. Or I'm going to put a drink in somebody's hand. I'm a, I'm a contributor. Um, we want folks to move from contribution to actually they're, they're producing. You know, so there, there's something that they are regularly doing and it's, it's of value. But not just produce. I don't want to be a cul-de-sac. How can I reproduce? I think mm. we're born again to reproduce. Uh, to borrow an old phrase from, from uh, I think it's a Dawson of the Navigators. Um, and, and we don't want just folks to reproduce. I, I want folks to multiply. How, how do we actually have a person who knows how to help many folks reproduce uh, so we can have an exponential movement? So, um, I mean, when we think tangibly within uh, just our people moving up kind of a chain like that, where they're, they're living out their calling, that's staging for me. And then the reproduction, somebody said, why don't you use replication? 
Well, because to me, that's kind of popping out widgets. It feels like a manufacturing yeah. machine. And so it's that my wife even said, hey, please don't use stage and reproduction. You know, so, but the reproduction is, it's that intimate, that personal touch uh, in, in a spiritual sense. Uh, there's this engagement. So, uh, so in layman's terms, I want to activate healthy, uh, spirit-led, reproductive leaders uh, that um, lead communities that change communities. That, that's what I want to get after. I love it. My two words are seizing moments. All right. That's, that's a little more, um, you know, kid friendly. Well, what, what I like about it though is seizing is a real, almost a harsh word, you know, almost mm-hmm. can be a little bit offensive. Uh, and so that for me was, is an intentional movement there just in the same way of going like, yeah, I, I want to be aggressive in some ways. It's an aggressive term seizing. You don't seize gently, right? right, right you right. don't seize with like, Oh, I'm just chill. I'm going to seize that. But really is what are those, you know, what are those moments that need to be captured and seized? So mine is uh, creating line blurring moments that inspire life shaping movements. Yeah. You know, so, and that line blurring and some of those things. So I love that. I can imagine a church, you know, full of people walking around, being able to share in, in the same way you and I have just shared kind of that, that, that two word, the way we exist to honor God and serve others, those two word seizing moments, uh, staging reproduction as awkward as it could be, like being able to just be that clear about what they're here for. What kind of difference does that make as a leader in your church? Like with people like that in your body? So we've got a guy that's, uh, he's a physical therapist, been doing it for 30 years and uh, landed on just two words and it was uh, restoring alignment. Hmm. So you can imagine just from a, a work standpoint, but what's happened is he realized when I have folks on my table and we're doing all kinds of adjustments, he says, we have these incredible life conversations, spiritual conversations. He feels like a counselor. And he's looked back over those 30 years and said, that's what I've done with my life. I'm not just doing physical restoring of alignment. Uh, you know, we're, we're doing spiritual restoring. We're doing uh, relational restoring, marriage restoring. It's, a, it's amazing just to, to watch him come alive, not just in his profession, but to, to add this other layer. Um, so we have another gal. Oh, go ahead. You had a, you had a thought? No, 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 no. I'm just, I'm just sitting here listening and loving it, thinking this feels like disciple making. This feels like, like actual discipleship. If you've got someone who's, I'm glad you said physical therapist, because if you said chiropractor, I would have corrected you and say, which doctor you mean? But oh, okay. physical therapist, you know, you go to, you go to the medical school to get that one. Um, and, and here he is just not just doing alignment for people on the table. Every by the way, every chiropractor just shut me off just then. Uh, maybe I froze up and that's the good news that you missed that one. But man, here's someone in their, their calling five to six days a week that sees that as this extension of God at work through them, not just something I got to do to earn money. And I love the picture of discipleship, uh, that we're discipling people to be living as followers of Christ, not just attending something. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, he's living as an everyday disciple in his home, in his business place. Uh, and restoring alignment is not what he does at eight to, eight to five. It's partly. Uh, but I mean, he's just doing it in, in every relationship, in every context. It's given him incredible traction. You're about to give me another example of a, of a, a lady. Yeah, we got a lady who, uh, administrative assistant, who her two words are simplifying situations. And nice. so uh, she actually... She actually leads our, our unique initiative at the church. Um, so this would be a church gal. The, others, the other was uh, um, you know, a professional dude in the community. But um, 
she, she's amazing. So if, if I've got, and, and again, I can create all kinds of complexity. Uh, you know, I, I'm so conceptual, just move everything. I'll, I'll, I'll take risk, um, you know, high, highly entrepreneurial. And I, all I've got to do is just kind of bring her into the room and say, hey, talk to me about how I simplify this situation. And she can with ease just one, two, three it, take a next step it, make it really concrete, make it translatable for the everyday person. Um, so I, I just, what I love is, is that's a way in which she expresses the very nature of God. You know, he's a dreamer like me. He's also a planner like her. And, uh, but we, we need each other in the body of Christ to get things done. I mean, you know, I push things out and she cleans them up and it's, uh, you know, it's pretty amazing. Sounds like it's made you a better leader. Absolutely. 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 What is it? What does that practically look like? How do you take people through a process? Does that happen at membership class? Is it a, is it a special, uh, almost like a financial peace thing where there's a semester long study? What is, what is deploying people into their personal calling through this, this unique process, finding their two words and kind of attributing, you know, all the rest of the clarity to that. Give us, Give us an example. What does that look like? If I was a person in your church, pretty new, what would I be doing? Yeah, you, you'd you'd be connected with a coach who's not only been through the process, but has been trained on how to disciple somebody through this process. So pretty grueling. I mean, it takes about a nine months to a year to go through the process. Let that sink in. You know, another nine months for a coach to go through. So I mean, we we've been in it for close to four years. Um, we've made the investment. Uh, I mean, unique's beautiful. Just a side note what we've taught people how to do is coach and disciple. This just happens to be a great process, hmm. uh, you know, a context to help folks in terms of being trainers. Um, so we've got coaches. They'll, they'll um, invite folks into their cohort and a cohort can be online. It can be in person. Most often it's, you know, in one of the rooms of the church, there might be anywhere from four to eight folks in that cohort with that coach. Uh, and, I love the week by week. So imagine 75 minutes to 90 minutes, you're, you're together in a room and you're just walking through um, a particular session that has to do with personal clarity. Um, so there's actually three journeys. Um, there's a journey once, 12 weeks, and that's where we begin to identify um, our identity. So we articulate our identity. And that's where that two words we were both talking about comes yeah. from. Yeah. You go through that second journey and it's when um, you begin to activate that. So how do I put feet to that in real time in real life? And then the third journey is kind of a 90-day launch where it's not new material. It's taking that which you've, you've landed and you begin to uh, put that in motion um, for that 90 days. So we deliver it week by week. We also deliver it in uh, what we call an intensive. So you can, uh, you can come for a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I mean, it's pretty intense. Uh, we also do it on weekends. So we'll do like a Friday night, Saturday, take a month off, do a Friday night, Saturday. Uh, and that works really well with our business professionals. Uh, you know, God was up a little the weekend, but it doesn't take nine months to, to get through the process. What's been the breakthrough moment for you in all this, you know, specifically within the unique process for you personally as a leader, what's been your, your greatest moment of breakthrough? Yeah, I'd probably say, so there's one that there's the collective or a corporate picture. And then I'd offer you one that's more just on a personal. So um, number of we, a number of months ago, we, um, we did a kind of a pilot, which was what they called the unique primer. And uh, 
it was on a Tuesday night for seven weeks, and we had 300 of our people uh, in the room to go through this process. Well, what was amazing, so I, if I'm generation one, this is where staging reproduction comes into play. I had my trained coaches, there's about five of them, who were in the room just leading the room. So from the stage, doing the training, doing the teaching. And then we had about 30 coaches at tables of 10. And then we had, you know, the other 270 folks around the tables. So in that room, we had four generations in the unique process. And I, I, uh, I actually got a bit teary-eyed because I thought, okay, we're almost winning here. And I say almost because I think we win at the fifth generation. Hmm. So when, when we can get to that fifth generation of disciple-making, yeah, I feel like, okay, we've begun. Uh, so that being on the corporate level, which just felt like incredible breakthrough. Um, I, I would say on a, well, let me just pause there because I lost my thought on the personal. It'll come back to me. No, that's great. I love that. That fifth generation feels like the watershed moment. It feels like the tipping point where it's not just something we do, but it's something we are. I think to me, that's that's the marker beyond, that's that one step beyond the Second Timothy 2.2 instruction by Paul, you know, Paul shares with Timothy, who, who shares it and, and invests deeply in those who could also lead others. And, the, and the, the idea is if we can get those four generations in place, man, you know, get to that fifth generation and it becomes a movement, not just a moment. Yeah. So we, we'll hear folks say, hey, can we quit with the unique stuff because it's taken over the world? <laughs> uh, so, you know, it's, it's become that ubiquitous. Interestingly enough, we've not programmed it. You know, it was underground. You had to find it. It was by invitation. Um, so for, for me, some of the breakthrough would be getting with a person who's been through the process. We have a common narrative, a common language to be able to just ask simple questions of one another. And we, we can get to the depth of any area of our life in two questions and say, okay, what action are you taking? I mean, that's what's huge to me. I, I remember when I said those two questions. Well, it, it doesn't matter. It's just, okay, okay, I, okay. I, I, I might I just know ask. if there were secret questions that I didn't no, know. No, 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 no secret questions at all. But because we've been through the process, yeah, it, yeah. It, it, there's, there's this common language that yeah, we can ask. Yeah, gotcha, questions. yeah. When I, when I sat with our leadership team and, and said, hey, guys, could we give this a try? Um, the way that I, I pitched it to the folks was, what if in uh, 30 seconds you could get um, – to the depth of any part of your staff or leader's life and um, get clarity about what's going on and then, uh, and know what the next step is. Um, would that be interest to you? And so they said, yeah, we'd love that. And I said, what if I can guarantee that we can get that? And they said, well, if you can guarantee that, let's go after it. I said, I guarantee it. But then, you know, here are the qualifications. It's, you know, it's going to take a while. You're going to have to trust the process. You guys are going to have to go through it. It's going to mess with our staff because we're going to reposition people. They're going to get excited about, you know, the vision God has for their life. And so if, you, if you're willing to have all those variables, then, then let's do it. But they, they wanted to be able to, with any of their staff or leaders, in 30 seconds get to the depth of their life and be able to take a next step. And we delivered. So powerful. I, I just then apply that in my neighborhood, in my community. In 30 seconds, what if I could – get to the heart of what's going on with my neighbor, you know, and not, you know, not because they have the same language, but because I just understand how to get to the heart. Absolutely. 
great. Yeah, so yeah, it is. It's it's a real fun process. Really fun process. Jay, I, I ask every podcast guest three specific questions. Kind of brings that continuity. Uh, first question: What's one daily or regular habit you practice that keeps you close to the heart of God? I think you're going to say prayer, but go. Well, yeah. Uh, well, hot tub. <laughs> Do what? So I've got, uh, yeah, I've got an evening rhythm, and um, it is uh, 15 minutes to the gym. 15 minutes in the steam room. Well, I do work out too. So there's about a 30, 45 minute, 15 minutes in the steam room, 15 minutes in the hot tub, 15 minutes ride back. Uh, so within that 90 minute time frame, that is where I have my, uh, my prayer time. And okay. so uh, each of those 15 kind of minute segments. So I can only be in that steam room for 10 minutes. I set the watch and I'll have a particular conversation with God in that 10 minutes. Uh, it might may carry over, but I can only be in that hot tub for 10 minutes, you know? And so, um, it's just this staged, if you will, conversation with God. And that's my prayer time, whether it's personal for the church or my family uh, or just listening or uh, just worship, you know, praise, that kind of thing. So you don't go to the cabin, you go to the steam room. Yeah, I go to the steam room, but I'll tell you what, my mind is in the cabin in this okay. while I'm in the steam room. I, I think that from my experiences in steam rooms, you know, there's, there's a similarity there. There's kind of the wood paneling and there's kind of that, that, that fireplace well, I, or that. No, I, I think you're thinking of the sauna, you know, the steam oh, room. Yeah. Yeah. That's the place with all the <laughs> tile and, and, and kind of the older gentleman, it smells like eucalyptus. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe the Shekinah glory back in the old Testament, you know, where there's the <laughs> mist, you know, careful Jay, you're, you're what you're waiting in. You've said Shekinah now. And yeah, we've yeah. talked about healing and miracles. I think. No, I, think. I just no. I just you're you're getting my Hebrew. My Hebrew. Uh, okay. That's what's coming out. My my language Hebrew. My Greek. My minor there. That's what that's what's coming forth. Well, well. Speaking of your education, if you could go back, question number two. If you could go back to your first year of ministry and tell yourself one thing, what would it be? Yeah, I'd say, hey, uh, major in major in the basics. Mm-hmm. You know, be a person of the scriptures. Let you know, don't just master them. Let them master you. Be a person of prayer. You know, learn to have learn how to have conversation with God. That's just it's normal. Um, you know, learn how to have friendship with with God, Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Uh, I think each just has just very unique. It's different to be fathered by God. Different to be, you know, the older brother Jesus, and very different with Holy Spirit. So to to be friends with God that way. Um, and and I'd say, hey, uh, go after disciple making sooner than later. You know, uh, um, wait less, ask more, meaning just ask people, invite them in. Don't wait around. Just try and get after it. So, I love that. Last question. Is there one book you consistently recommend or give as a gift? It's interesting. Um, Fathered by God, being an Eldridge book. It's a little bit older, maybe. It's probably a decade old now. Say it again. Uh, Fathered by God by who? John Eldridge. Fathered by God by John Eldridge. Yeah, I, I just think in a generation where, um, you know, the just does not to seem to be men who know the masculine journey or know what it is to have been fathered or to have a father. Um, you know, there is that transition point, you know, 17 to 27, somewhere in there where we just, we begin to recognize our broken masculinity and the need for just the father to step in and, and father us into, you know, his ways. So I guess we should also mention unique. Uh, yeah. I, the life, the God dream for you by Will Mancini, right? 
That's the one I meant to say is, yeah, I actually, <laughs> hey, I just bought uh, two cases. So I've got 48 books that uh, we're going to give away as gifts. And so, um, yeah, I suppose in this podcast, that should have been the one. No, so. no, I, I like the Eldridge answer first. Uh, oh. And then, and because I think unless you get that right, uh, it doesn't matter, you know, you know, the personal calling always follows the identity in Christ. And so I think those two things got to be in that order. Absolutely. Well, so the personal uh, clarity around gospel-centered life design, I mean, that's what unique is. Yeah. To put the gospel right at the center of that clarity and learn how to walk with Jesus that way. So a big, big fan of the unique book and uh, excited to put it in the hands of friends. So. Love it. Thanks, J. Cole, for being on the My Ministry Breakthrough podcast. It's been a pleasure uh, to get to uh, unpack and get to see uh, what God is doing. All right, Brian. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to My Ministry Breakthrough from the Oxano Podcast Network. You can head over to MyMinistryBreakthrough.com to join the conversation and access our show notes, including the books or other resources mentioned in this episode. If you enjoy hearing these stories of ministry breakthrough, we would be honored if you would subscribe, rate, and even leave a review on iTunes or your preferred podcast provider. Thanks again for listening.